0: Welcome to the WSU Wheat Beat Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Lyon, and I want to thank you for joining me as we explore the world of small grains production and research at Washington State University. In each episode, I speak with researchers from WSU and the USDA ARS to provide you with insights into the latest research on wheat and barley production. If you enjoy the WSU Wheatbeat Podcast, do us a favor and subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app and leave us a review while you're there so others can find the show too. My guest today is Tim Murray. Tim is a professor and Extension plant pathologist who has been on the WSU faculty since 1983. Prior to joining the Extension Small Grains team in 2013, he taught introductory plant pathology. His research program focuses on integrated control of wheat diseases, especially eye spot, cephalosporium stripe, speckled snow mold, soil-borne wheat mosaic, wheat streak mosaic, and others. Hello, Tim. Hi, Drew. So Tim, although we're still in the midst of winter as we're recording this, a lot of growers are beginning to think about spring field work, especially down in the lower rainfall parts of state. Disease is one of those considerations. What do you think growers should be thinking about now relative to spring field work for wheat disease?
1: Well, one of the things they're probably thinking about most relative to disease is stripe rust. and We've had several years in a row where stripe rust has been our major disease concern in the spring. Um, We always think about stripe rust because fall infection and winter survival are important for determining uh, how much disease is likely to occur this spring. The other disease that I start thinking about is eye spot It's another foliar disease, uh, also dependent on fall and winter conditions to determine how severe it's going to be, and the other disease for which we spray a fungicide as one of our control measures. So, stripe rust and ice spot are, I think, what are on most people's minds, or should be.
0: As, as we move into the spring. So, um, as you said, every year's a little bit different because every winter and fall is different. So, what do we know about stripe rust at this stage of the game?
1: Well, it's been kind of a mixed bag for stripe rust this year. Um, 2018 fall conditions uh, were very dry. You'll recall we had very little rain during the summer, uh, in general, seeding was late, or if seeding was early, there wasn't enough moisture to get the crop up. So emergence was late, and neither of which is of those is favorable for, for stripe rust infection. Stripe rust depends on infecting that winter crop in the fall so that it can survive through the winter. Um, nevertheless, Dr. Chen's group uh, out surveying last fall did find some fields in, in Grant County that had very low amounts of stripe rust, a few pustules in a field, he told me. So that seems to be at the low end of the spectrum but not unusual for, for this time of the year. What we know about the stripe rust fungus is that uh, survival depends on winter conditions and especially winter temperatures during December, January, and February. So if temperatures are really cold, five degrees Fahrenheit or less, that's gonna reduce survival of the rust but still allow survival of the crop. So far, I think most people realize that our temperatures in, in December and up until now in January have been uh, probably average or above average, and not certainly not cold enough to, to affect the survival of the rust. Um, Dr. Chen, as we're recording this, just released his first stripe rust update of the season uh, this past week, and he is calling for about normal uh, range of stripe rust this year. Now, that's dependent mainly on his models looking at at temperature. I think because of the dry fall conditions, we're probably looking at something less than what would be uh, normal for for his prediction. But that said, you know we're going to have to monitor temperatures and the crop uh, going forward um, to see where the stripe rust ends up because we're still, as we speak very early, uh, into the season. Things could turn around and become very favorable for the rust, or conversely, they could remain
0: um, cool and dry and not favorable for the rust. So, given that um, statement, what are their, What kind of recommendations can you make to growers at this point about stripe rust and what they should be doing? Anything out of the normal or just the, the things you would normally suggest growers do? Well,
1: I think our recommendations are, are really the same as, as they have been. Um, and growers who've listened to us know that uh, we always recommend, as the first line of defense, planting a disease resistant variety. If you look at the Washington State Crop Improvement Association Seed Buyer's Guide for, for winter or spring crops, try to pick a variety that is rated four or less. That means it's either resistant or moderately resistant and varieties that, that have that rating uh, should not need fungicide application during the year. Now, it's still early enough with, uh, with spring seeding not having taken place yet for growers to think about variety selection for a spring crop. So think first and foremost about that resistant variety. For winter crop, it's obviously too late. Crop's already in the ground. If you've got a variety that is resistant or moderately resistant, good job. You probably are not gonna have to worry about spraying fungicide for rust. If you have one that's rated more susceptible than a four, then our recommendation is always to get out and monitor the crop. Um, get out and look to see if you can find those striped rust pustules in the crop. And the recommendation is that if you have uh, about uh, 3 to 5% of the plants with actively sporulating pustules, that's the threshold for thinking about fungicide application. And if you reach that threshold, you need to act quickly because the rust can develop very quickly. So it's not, if you see that uh, threshold, uh, don't wait around to
0: make a decision
1: whether you're going to spray fungicide or not.
0: So some of these recommendations can growers find that information on the wheat and small grains website. Do you have that on some of your? Uh, yeah,
1: it's platforms? there. We have, uh, in fact, we have a table that has a, a list of fungicides that are used for um, for especially for foliar diseases, the rusts. Uh, there are several different fungicides that are are registered for stripe rust control. I guess the one thing to to remember with these fungicides is that most of them have a growth stage restriction. So, most of them are going to cut off at anthesis, uh, growth stage 10.5.4 on the Feek scale, but you need to double check that that recommend the, the label before you make that application. There are a couple of materials that actually have a pre-harvest interval of 30 days. Uh, pre-application or application 30 days before your harvest. And so uh, depending on where you're at in the season, make sure you, you know if there is that restriction. Dr. Chen will tell you that he doesn't recommend fungicide applications after anthesis because he just doesn't think there's a return on
0: the investment. Okay. Enough damage has been done at that point. That's right.
1: You're not going to recover from damage that's done at that point.
0: Okay. So the other disease you mentioned was eye spot. What do we know about eye spot so far this year?
1: Well, a lot of the conditions that favor stripe rust also favor eye spot. And uh, the fall weather uh, and so forth, winter temperatures... Uh, are going to also influence eye uh, spot again. The dry fall conditions, the late seeding or late emergence in general, will have reduced the potential for for eye spot this year. Um, that said, again, the mild temperatures that we've had in December and January have allowed the wheat to probably start growing out there in some parts of the state, and so the crop might be you know as advanced as it w- would have been had it emerged earlier in the season. Moisture was a little limiting uh, this year, but we did get some pretty good rains uh, through November. And so uh, I have no doubt that the the eye spot fungus is out there and and going. And um, if you've planted a resistant variety, uh, again, as with stripe rust, um, you are in good shape. And there's a lot of, of varieties that have good eye spot resistance. If you've planted a susceptible variety, we're we're similar to what we talk about with stripe rust, get out and monitor your crop to see whether you've got enough uh, disease to make it worthwhile to spray. How do you know when that happens? Well, what we recommend is you get out, you collect at least 50 stems, take them someplace where you can wash them off and, and strip the outer sheaths off. And if you can see 5 out of 50 that have recognizable eye spot on them that represents 10%. There's probably another 10% out there that that you can't recognize. So that's 20%, and that's the threshold for for considering okay. a fungicide application.
0: Okay, and I assume the Washington Crop Improvement Association also lists varieties uh resistance to this disease as well?
1: Yeah, that's right. The the crop improvement, uh, we update that every year after we uh, evaluate uh, new and upcoming varieties. So there are ratings in there. I think on that rating scale, Madsen is about a four. And so if you have a variety that's comparable to Madsen, um, you're going to be in pretty good shape. There are about, right now, I think, seven different uh, treatments that are registered, fungicide treatments registered for uh, eye-spot control. Um, Many of them contain an older fungicide in them, TOPSIN-M or um, thiophanate methyl is the active ingredient. Um, That's a material to which we have resistance in the pathogen population um, in the Pacific Northwest. So um, that's a consideration. Um, There are some materials in there that don't include that if you've had or know that you've had a fungicide resistance problem in the past.
0: Okay, and are these recommendations also Can growers find that on the wheat and small grains website? Yes, they can. Yeah, we've
1: got uh, some of our presentations up there from the past where they can go in and look at uh, recommendations for the threshold and the treatments that are registered as well.
0: All right, Tim, we're very early in the season, but I think it is time to start thinking about it. I'm sure growers are, as they come out of this uh, winter meeting season, their minds are thinking about all the things they have to think about. We appreciate you bringing this to their attention. And I'm sure we'll have you on again later this year as some of these things start to develop out there in the field. Okay, great. Thanks, Drew. Thank you, Tim. Thanks for joining us and listening to the WSU Wheat Beat Podcast. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. If you have questions or topics you'd like to hear on future episodes, please email me at drew.lyon. That's L-Y-O-N at WSU.edu. You can find us online at smallgrains.wsu.edu and on Facebook and Twitter at WSU Small Grains. The WSU Wheat Beat Podcast is a production of Connors Communications in the College of Agricultural, Human, and Natural Resource Sciences at Washington State University. I'm Drew Lyon. We'll see you next time.